Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. Uh, this is the monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month, we dedicate 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in educational leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, This month, our guest is Dr. Jordan Shapiro, who is the head of the Intellectual Heritage uh, Program and professor at Temple University. Welcome, Jordan. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, and to our faithful listeners, welcome back, and thank you again for being part of our family of over 5,000 listeners every month. And to our new listeners, we're glad that you made us a part of your day. Uh, Today, we're going to discuss some work by Jordan and uh, um, his staff, um, and uh, some of his work uh, has been uh, well uh, received. Um, He has been featured quite a bit on Forbes magazine, um, giving a number of uh, articles and opinions about technology's role in education and community. Um, Has uh, a number of uh, articles, book chapters and um, books. Um, Has a book that's um, coming up soon. Um, And so I think that's probably a good place for us to start. Uh, Jordan, tell us a little bit about your upcoming uh, manuscript that's to be released soon. Yeah, so um, I'd be happy to tell you. So, the, so, the, so the, the book I'm currently finishing up is a is a is a book about about um, how important it is for teachers to see themselves as um, um, as political actors, right? I don't want to say activists because that word comes loaded. So I'll just say political actors, and I kind of think of it like you know we're, that teachers are warriors, right? We're, that, that we're we're doing more than just educating individuals. We're, we're also we're also shaping the future of the world, and, that, and and the book is very much about the geopolitical implications of that, the economical implications of, uh, of that, and and of the the socioeconomic implications of that, and, and of course just the social implications of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting, very fascinating. And so, uh, how do you see technology involved in that? Yeah, well, so you know, I really got into um, writing and thinking about education because I started to to write and think a lot about video games and how video games could be used in the classroom and what kids were learning from video games. And I, I think um, um, one of the things I've learned after looking at probably every every potential um, uh, education technology that, that's out there for a while um, is. The, the, the real truth is, is I want to start just by saying, you know, we don't need technology for test scores. So we often talk about technology in terms of, hey, it's going to improve literacy and numeracy, and that's not actually a necessity, right? We know how to teach people to read. We know how to teach people math. The real, the real issue that we need a tool to help us solve are issues around equality, socioeconomic equality, racial equality, ethnic equality, cultural equality, gender equality, issues around inclusivity, issues around identity and real big issues around global global citizenry. So when I, what I think really the, the, the promise of technology is that technology is able to be a tool that helps us with, with 
these gaps that we still have, right? Uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of rich kids all over the world who, who get a great education. We know how to give people a great education. We're not able to give it to everyone yet. Sure, sure. You know, I, I've spent a lot of time in developing countries working with uh, policymakers and um, people who have uh, been struggling with um, the role of technology and education. And, and so some of it is about kind of brick and mortar kind of things where they're talking about, well, do we need a smart board in classrooms? And um, I try to urge them to think about kind of, as you think, uh, equalizers um, that um, the, in, in even some of the poorest communities, like um, the work I'm doing in Brazil and the favelas, um, that people are walking around with smartphones. And so it's, it's, it's interesting that a lot of it has been overlooked, uh, but that there are um, people from the commercial kind of capitalist uh, uh, community, if you will, who are thinking very creatively about how to reach people because they understand and recognize that they have these um, communication devices in their hands. And so if you could, I mean, this is one of the things that, that, that really struggle, I struggle with is trying to understand why it is that in education we've been kind of late to embrace technology in its fullest sense, not just talking about computers and, 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 you know, laptops and iPads necessarily. Um, could, could you share a little bit about your thoughts about because when you because a lot of times when when you hear technology and education people think you're just talking about computers computers and smart boards. Tell us a little bit more about what you what, when you're talking about its role. What exactly you you mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's there's two things you've made me made me think of. One, let me let me ask your, your your first answer your first question, which which is you know why why are, why do I think people are late to embrace technology and, and and I think part of the reason is 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 well I'll I'll answer that by by telling you a story Brian I I will never forget the day I was standing uh, I think I was in Dubai and I was and I was talking to the education minister of Pakistan and I was we were we were just you know casual conversation talking about. Uh, uh, and I was telling him what it looked like in technology in the United States, and I was telling him about how teachers are so resistant to the idea of e-books. They're so resistant, you know, they have this, like, nostalgic love of paper and the paper book mm -hmm. in the United States. And he looked at me and he said, I have rural areas where people are just learning to read because they have a smartphone. You, in the U.S., you guys have the privilege of worrying about screen time. We don't have the privilege in other parts of the world. And it totally struck me, and I think that's part of what you're, what you're getting to. I think in the developed world, we, we have so much access to technology that, that, we're really, that we, we really don't even start to start, you know, that, that we can be afraid of it. We don't always embrace it. We don't always get as innovative as, as, we, as we can with it. And, and I think you're totally right. The smartphones, I've seen amazing things taught to people on smartphones, especially, especially, uh, especially in developing countries. Um, that, that, that use it for, for full curricula. For full curricula. Um, and I think that one of the sad parts is that where there's the most money to be made is often in the places that don't need the technology as much, 
right? So, sure. so, that, so that we don't see those rich innovators like Google and Facebook and Apple going, hey, how can we make cheap solutions <laughs> to, to help people with no money, right? Um, but, but that's really where we, where we need to, to, to pay attention because that's where economies grow in the, in the long term. Um, you also asked about things that are in addition to things like smart boards and tablets and, 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 uh, and computers. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the question about, and there was just this great OECD study that, that, that really looked at, at test scores and discovered that actually computers themselves in classrooms do nothing to, to help people learn better, okay? Um, that doesn't mean they're bad, but what it means is it's not so much about how we use computers or putting them, or, or putting them there. It's really thinking about how we can use the technology, again, to address the real shortcomings we have. And those shortcomings have to do with, with equality, right? Not with, um, not with um, you know, instruction, right? So we often build things like, hey, let's build a smart board because then I can share a math, uh, a, a math equation faster. But it's not actually a problem. People have been learning algebra fine with chalkboards for years, right? The issue is only if that's somehow going to make that chalkboard and that good teaching more accessible to people who didn't have it before. Other than that, it's not actually doing anything. And, and, and I think that, that we often get excited by the shininess of something new, um, which is not the same as a real tool that's going to help make the world a better place, and, and not just a better place, a stronger global economy. No, right, right, and and that that's a really great example you gave. And I've been in places myself where um, I have struggled with people who are in positions to make a decision about, um, you know, buying more books or going with eBooks. And um, it, it has been around the aesthetics of, you know, tactile. Uh, articles in front of you to be able to manipulate. And I, I just say, I have personally a great appreciation for books and it's great. Um, however, you know, there are children who, the children that are coming into the learning environment now um, are just coming with a different set of experiences. And much of what is going on in the, in the, in the real world for them just doesn't in you know involve as much paper um, and for a lot of different reasons, but it just but but because we have a number of policymakers and board members and people who listen to the show, I do want to make the point that um, at least for me, and not saying that there's no value in having um, things that children manipulate in front of them, is that you know they come with a different set of experiences. And so we have to really um, study that. And, and it's interesting for the listeners, if you go to uh, the website for the, for the radio show, um, you'll see a link to that OECD report that you referenced. Um, we have it up about um, how, um, I think the article is something like um, uh, how schools are wasting money on computers. Um, and it speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Um, but, but that also your other point that I don't want to be missed is about what the research says um, regarding the technology in schools and how it, it, it does not necessarily improve test scores. Um, there's not a direct correlation between the amount of technology in a building and student performance. 
Yeah, that's right, and that's and and that's not how we should even be measuring whether or not it's successful. So, you know, when you talk about the ebook thing, you know, one of the things to think about is historically how access to a library has been such a socioeconomic divider, right? So, you know, to make that point, just think about the kinds of libraries they have at places like Harvard and Yale compared to other yeah. places. Right, the quality of the library often goes with the amount of income, right, that the, that the students have. Um, but you know, if you look at the work that someone like CAMFAD, which is the Campaign for Female Education, what they're doing with with girls in sub-Saharan Africa, they bring some uh, e-books, like some Kindles, into that classroom, and they basically put the entire Harvard Library in the hand of people who didn't have books yesterday. Right, right, and I, and that's that's a very powerful uh, example of what can happen. Uh, in a in a short, very short amount of time, going from zero to a hundred uh, as it relates to technology, um, but but to have the the resources at your fingertips, uh, an entire library at your fingertips when you didn't have uh, anything before. So um, very right. very. And, and the key, and but and the key point there though is doesn't matter how good your library is if you don't have good people teaching you to read. Right. Absolutely. So the library itself in ebooks doesn't necessarily mean the test scores are going to go up. But if no. we teach kids to read and give them a library like that, and having the library is going to make it easier to teach them to read, and, and it's not going to be this direct causal relationship where the tech equals the higher test scores, we, but the tech can create some equality in terms of the, the kinds of content that's available to, to people around the world. Sure, absolutely. You know, one of the things I want to go back to um, that you you mentioned, you you started talking about teachers as political actors. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure listening that will say, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what are you talking about here? We don't want to get into politics. They should be shouldn't have uh, politics uh, on their radar. Uh, say a little more about uh, exactly what you mean by the, the teachers as political actors, but that um, how that plays out um, through curriculum and pedagogy. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah. Thanks for asking me to clarify that. You know, I, I think you know when I say when we say let's keep politics out of the classroom, I, I think what we really mean is let's take let's keep the political game out of the classroom, right? Like teachers shouldn't be saying, hey, trying to turn people into Democrats or Republicans or Labor Party, you know, depending on where you're listening to, we all have party. Not about party politics. That's not my point at all. But but my point is that nothing that we are ever presenting is is, is kind of objective, non-biased, right? As teachers, we're always we're always presenting a, a world view, right, and a view uh, and a view of what we think what we think matters in the world and what we think it takes to be a good person and to be a good contributor to society, right? Re remember that we we often forget this. I think they, they, the reason we learn math, the reason we learn science, the reason we learn to write, the reason we learn to read is not because those things are inherently good. It's because those things are useful for us to be able to have a conversation. If I hadn't learned uh, with many, many years of schooling how to be able to articulate a sentence, how to be able to make a good argument, you and I probably wouldn't be talking right now. And even if we were, we wouldn't be doing it nearly as well as we are, right? We, sure. we learn these skills in order to use them in, in conversation with other people, in order to use them as part of a collective, as part of a society, right? It's always about relationships. It's always about how we work how we work together. So embedded in every single subject is a story about how students can grow up and use that 
content to make the world a, a, the kind of place they want it to be, right? And in that sense, I, I, you know, we should realize that the teachers have a whole lot of power there um, if they really teach their students that. In fact, what happens in most schools, uh, especially this is another big socioeconomic divide, is that rich kids learn that the content that they're being taught is theirs to be able to make the world with, right? right? They get to use science, they get to use chemistry, they get to use math, they get to use poetry to create the world they want to live in. Poor kids are taught that you go to school in order to learn obedience. You have to learn how to pass the test, right? You have to mm -hmm. learn how to mm -hmm. ace the test. That's, an, that's obedience. One, one part of the world learns that, it, that, that knowledge empowers you. The other part of the world learns that knowledge is how you do the right or wrong thing. Um, sure. Teachers need to understand they can empower an entire generation of people just by teaching them that chemistry empowers them to create their own world. Sure, sure. That's a, that is a an amazing point. We we uh, we spend a lot of time um, ignoring, I should say, we do not, not time on it, but we we do ignore the fact that um, there are messages, implicit messages, in how students experience school um, and what they what they learn um, can empower them or in some cases uh, make them weak uh, without understanding that they have control over the content that they they're getting so um, that's a really uh, really good uh, who just joined us uh, we have dr. Jordan Shapiro um, who teaches in the intellectual heritage program at Temple University and also associate director for digital innovation um, in the College of uh, Liberal Arts at Temple. Um, you're joining us. We're about halfway through the show, and we we're talking about um, uh, technology and the intersection of education. So we've been um, talking a little bit about um, how um, teachers have, have a role um, in in being political actors. We've talked a little bit about how technology does doesn't necessarily lead to increased performance. And I want to shift just a little bit. And there's one other area that I know was uh, at least a part of what you've you've written about and is a little bit of a new, um, how can I say, a, a new era, uh, area for policymakers, but particularly board members to think about too, is when you hear things like game-based learning. I know you've written a little bit about that. And when we hear game-based learning, uh, a lot of times it turns people off that, well, what are they doing? Playing. Um, and without understanding that a lot of the way we interact and in our intersection with the world has at least some foundations in the way gaming took place. I, I think about in my car, the way I, I now change the station of the radio from one to another is not just a knob, it's a toggle. Uh, that is, mm -hmm. it's almost like a, it's almost like a joystick ne next to my, my arm rest. Uh, Hello? Hello, I'm sorry, I lost you there for a second. I'm sorry, yes. Brian. Yes, no, no, I'm sorry. Did you hear did you hear the question? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe 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 I, I can briefly ask it so everyone doesn't have to listen to it twice. 
No, no, it's okay. But it, so the short question is just that, um, tell us a little bit about what you mean by game-based learning. Uh, that's one of the areas that I know you've written about, and and there's a lot that we've we've missed um, about uh, the importance of of embracing the way children come prepared to learn. They have a lot of experience with gaming, um, but people get turned off by it. Um, they think it's play. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, what game-based learning is and and how it works? Well, I would just start immediately by saying they're totally right. It is play, um, and 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 in, and in my mind, I would I would say let's 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 change the language here. Let's not call it game-based learning. Let's call it learning through digital play, um, because that's very much what what we want. Um, you know, learning, and this goes back to the previous question, right? The ability to be empowered with knowledge, right, is the ability to play with ideas. Right, and so if you're not, if we're not, if we, what we want to do is create learning opportunities that allow students to play with ideas, right? To play with them. You know, the thing about games um, is that games are not play like when I hand my kids a, a, a pile of action figures and, and say, "Go be silly," right? Games are very structured spaces, right? That define the ways that you're allowed to play with things, right, to force people to find creative ways to use, um, to use their, to, creative ways to use the ideas, the knowledge, the skills that are involved in the game within, a, within a boundaries, within, within certain boundaries. What's also great about video games in general and why I think the, the mindset of video games can be super powerful for, uh, for, for school is, is that kids will play um, all day long, we all know, right? And they don't get frustrated. And in any one of those moments, what they're doing is learning a really complex system. Now, uh, biology is a complex system. Um, uh, languages are a complex system. Everything we teach is some kind of complex system. Why is it that our, that our kids are willing to play hours of learning to utilize a complex system and navigate a complex system if it's a video game, but not when it's about um, you know, molecular, molecular biology? Um, well, the, one of the reasons is, is, is a term that, that, that game, game makers use called, called iteration, right? Like when we talk about software, there is software is iterative, there's a beta, and then there's 1.0, 2.0, et cetera. Uh, this idea of iteration, what happens is when, when you play a video game, and I'm sure we've all played Tetris because everybody's played Tetris, right? The first time mm -hmm. you fail and you go, well, let me try it a little different next time, and you try it a little different. And the great thing about video games is they – they create this space where failure is okay, right? And so you sure. keep trying until you learn the system. We have a system in school where you fail, you're screwed. That's not good. No. What we want right. is you failed, good. Please try again and learn how to do it better next time. And there's right. nothing that, that kids love to learn, but the only way learning is fun is when failure is not, doesn't have high stakes. Sure, sure. No, that's, that's a really important point, and we've had – We've had discussions previously about the importance of taking away the punitive uh, nature of the way we've been doing school for so long and high stakes. Uh, and it's not to say that at some point that you don't have to demonstrate that you know. It is that all of it is about development and that as much as we say we understand about child development or human development for that matter, um, we, we don't 
we don't respect it enough to implement it in the way we do school. So much that we've learned about brain research is that the brain um, and the cells even are about your repetition and um, getting in and having experience. So you, and, and I say repetition from the standpoint of just as you mentioned with Tetris, you try it, you remember some things about when you tried it before. So now let's try it again and, and exactly. do something differently. That's the way the brain uh, learns and adjusts and adapts. If we only give them one or two opportunities to try something and say, well, if you didn't get it, oh, well. And that's, that's by and large the way we, we, we have uh, operated in our schools, that's, that's problematic. And so that when we, and I, I fully embrace, um, and I, I appreciate your, your, your definition and thinking about um, and calling it what it is, is that it is learning through play. And, and we do that early on, but making it an experience. And that's one of the things that I, I, I uh, asked that we get you on the show about is that we need to create spaces that equity is created in education through giving students uh, these experiences that allow them the same learning opportunity. You talked about um, from a social economic standpoint where students have a chance, uh, the way they view the curriculum. Um, it's very different based on the way you're, you, you have been introduced to it by uh, your teacher. And, and so one of the things that we, that I, I am a strong supporter for in equity in education is making sure students have the same experiences regardless of their social economic status. And that's not just about bricks and mortar. That is about giving them the opportunity to make mistakes, try again, and experience things um, that, that build one on another. And I think that's what I hear uh, and read from some of the things you're talking about, looking at developmental psychology and actually implementing it in the way we do our work in schools. Yeah, that, I mean, I think, I think that's exactly right. You said that, that really well. And, and, and the only thing I'd add to what you just said is, is this, this, you know, just think for one second about when you think about this question of the, of the stakes and the ability to fail, Think about how much lower the stakes are for the, for the richest, most powerful people in the world, right? That, that's one of the big socioeconomic differences, right, is that, is, that, is that, you know, someone who's very wealthy and very powerful, they actually can fail a test and another test and another test and still have the same status in life, right? That's not true at, 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 the, at the bottom, Right. Mm -hmm. so, so how do we make sure that that's also true at the bottom so that they're capable of getting the same learning that happens through the opportunity to have those failures? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I, I really appreciate it. Um, to our listeners, again, uh, this is Jordan Shapiro um, at Temple University. Uh, you can follow him um, at Jordash. Um, we have his contact information on the site. We have a couple of links. Um, be sure to read his most recent article. I think it's his most recent in Forbes, uh, where he's talking about the essential definition of education. And um, it's a, a magnificent article. Uh, encourage you to read. We'll have that 
also linked to our website. Um, and so we are at the point where we, we need to wrap up. And so, Jordan, again, I want to thank you uh, for being a part thank of uh, our show today. And um, I want to invite um, our listeners uh, back next month uh, on October 14th at 2 p.m. Uh, we have our guest is uh, Dr. Damon Jones, um, who um, is a, a professor who is going to talk to us a little bit about um, the relationship between kindergarten social competence and uh, future wellness. Jordan, um, um, thank you so much. We appreciate everything you're doing. Um, keep that message out there about um, the importance of using uh, ed- uh, technology to create equity in education. So until next time, our listeners, go well, stay well. Take care. Bye-bye.